Well, as we remain standing, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, through it, you speak to us. We pray that you would do that now, that you would open our hearts to you, that you would plant deep within them exactly what you have for us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you were with us last week, you'll know that we looked at the middle section of Acts 13, detailing Paul's sermon to the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch. Paul's sermon was all about the road to redemption, how God had been working throughout history to bring about salvation through Jesus Christ. Start to finish, Paul's sermon was all about Jesus how his life, death, and resurrection change everything, freeing us from sin and death. Well, this week, we're going to continue in that story, looking at how the different groups of people responded to Paul's bold gospel proclamation. In doing so, we'll see the power of the word, how we are to carry the word, in our need in carrying the word. Let's dive right in, looking at the power of the word. Well, as mentioned, right before where our reading picks up this week, Paul preaches a powerful sermon that is all about Jesus. In response, we heard this. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Now, I'm starting to feel a bit like a broken record because that is truly a poor translation. It sounds like people are saying, well, you did a fine job. All right, you made the cut. Come on back next week. We'll listen to you again. That is not even close to what is happening here. The Greek here tells us that the word invited is not nearly strong enough. Paul and Barnabas were implored. They were begged to come back. New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce puts it this way. Paul's words aroused intense interest. They had heard exposition of scripture before and moral exhortations, but nothing like this. It wasn't a ho-hum, sure, you can come back and we'll listen to you sometime. It was desperation to hear more about Jesus and the gospel of salvation. They were so eager to hear more from Paul and Barnabas that they started following them as they left the synagogue. You can imagine Paul and Barnabas are just trying to get out of there, maybe get a bite to eat after the service, relax a little bit, but this crowd is acting like a bunch of teenagers after a Beatles concert. They won't leave them alone. Sure enough, Word spreads. And when Paul and Barnabas come back the next week, Luke tells us that nearly the entire city turned out to hear them preach. What do we learn from such an intense reaction? Were Paul and Barnabas just that great of preachers? Were they so much better than everyone else they had ever heard? Did they have the best arguments and the most eloquent speeches? No, actually, in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that he is not the most eloquent preacher. It's because Paul preached the gospel. 
It's that simple. Paul faithfully preached the word of God to the people. The truth that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And since Jesus did that, we all can have hope. And when people get a glimpse of that hope, they come back for more. Verse 44 tells us, they didn't come back to hear Paul and Barnabas, but to hear the word of the Lord. The point is this. The word of God, faithfully preached, has the power to change lives. The faithful preaching of scripture is the single most powerful tool a Christian has because scripture is the word of God. It is how Jesus is revealed to the world. That is what caused the hunger for more. They have had an encounter with Jesus through the preached word of God. Scripture itself constantly bears witness to the power of the word. Paul tells us that scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He also writes in Romans that faith comes through hearing, and hearing comes through the word of God. He commends the Thessalonians for receiving scripture for what it is, the very word of God. The prophet Isaiah tells us that the word of God goes out and it accomplishes what he purposes. What is it that he purposes? That people would repent and come to faith in Jesus. But for this to happen, as Paul reminds us in Romans 10, the word must be preached. He writes, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The problem is, most of us as Christians don't really believe the word of God is enough to change lives. We think we need the gospel plus something else. We think that getting people into the church is about having all the right programs and strategies. If, if we have the best website or the best kids ministry, if we have the best food and coffee at fellowship, that'll bring the people in. Then they'll want to be here. I fall victim to this sort of thinking all the time. I need this reminder probably more than anyone in this room. The truth is, all of that stuff is great. We should want that. We should want good programs for our kids. We should want coffee that tastes like coffee and not like tar. But we should want these things as a way of proclaiming the word to people. As a way of inviting them in to know Jesus. Because the truth is, if we do not faithfully preach the word of God, we are completely wasting our time. It is the word of God that has the power to change lives. We know this because of the reaction of the people. It reveals the power of the word to us. And here's the other piece of it. We see that people are hungry for the gospel. The crowd heard the gospel and they were desperate for more. Please, they begged, please come and tell us more about Jesus. Tell us how we are to be saved. 
people are hungry for God. They might have no idea that he is the one they hunger for, but they hunger nonetheless. It's how St. Augustine wrote centuries ago. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. The universal human condition is a hunger for God that only the gospel can satisfy. And it is the preached word of God, the truth that Jesus Christ saves, that begins to satisfy that hunger. Because through the faithful preaching of the word, lives are changed as they encounter Jesus. Now, some of you might be thinking at this point, well, that all sounds great. You're the preacher, I'm not. The truth is, every one of us is called to proclaim the word of God, whether you stand here or not. It doesn't have to be from a pulpit. Most of the time, it shouldn't be from a pulpit. It's in the way that we interact with people, our friends, our coworkers, people we see on the street, how we spend our time, the way we respond to others. As Christians, the word of God is the bedrock we build upon. The way we live our lives, guided and governed by the Holy Spirit, bears witness to the word of God and reveals Jesus to others. That is preaching through our deeds, and every one of us can do it. So long as we believe in Jesus. You know what happens? As people experience the word preached in word or deed. They want to know more. They hunger for it. And over time, that hunger transforms into a lived experience. It moves from desire to just know more to a desire to worship. Verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. They started by begging to hear more and eventually came to a place of praise and worship. They knew who Jesus is and what he had done, and so they glorify God for it. That is the power of the word. It moves us from just sort of this generic intellectual ascent, like, yeah, that all sounds right, sure, I guess, to a place where we desire to worship God, to live lives that glorify him, That is the progression the faithfully preached word of God creates. Now, since the word of God is powerful, since it is how Christ is revealed to the world, we need to look at how we're meant to carry that word. Paul and Barnabas serve as great examples for us here. They proclaim the word with faithfulness, persistence, and joy. We're going to look at all three of those individually. First, faithfulness. We see this in their, in their response to the Jewish leaders. In verses 46 and 47, they say, You have rejected the truth that was presented to you. And in doing so, you are rejecting, eter- rejecting eternal life. So you will go, we will go to those that will hear it. Their bold proclamation of the gospel was met with hostility. But they remain faithful to the task that they've been given. 
We know from last week that they proclaimed the gospel, the truth of Jesus. And then these words tell us that they will not be moved from that truth. They will remain faithful to Jesus and to his word. They also persist in preaching Jesus. They don't let this reaction or rejection knock them off course. They don't get thrown by it. They tell the the Jewish leaders, you reject us, fine. We're going to go to those who might receive it. And they actually use the word of God to make their point. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's what they said to them. They're quoting Isaiah 49. They're fulfilling scripture by standing on the foundation of scripture. Ironically enough, they're fulfilling the very thing that the Jewish leaders were meant to, but are now rejecting. Paul and Barnabas knew they had been called to be a light to the Gentiles, and they will not let challenge and difficulty move them away from that calling. They remain faithful, and they are persistent. Finally, they fulfill their call with joy. That seems like an odd word to use here. It seems like an odd thing to feel after being persecuted and driven out of a city. But it's because they were doing what they were called to do. They were following the command that Jesus had given them. And at no point did Jesus promise a smooth ride. In fact, he promises quite clearly the exact opposite. And yet they had joy and we can have joy even in the face of opposition if we are fulfilling the calling that we've been given. And so we hear these things and and those of us who are Christians, we think, yeah, yeah, I can do this. I should be doing this. I'm going to go do it right now. And off we go and we charge out. Well, let's slow down for a second here. Let's acknowledge that faithfulness, persistence, and joy don't really come naturally to us. It's the third thing we want to look at today. It's our need in carrying the word. You see, just like Paul and Barnabas we will face opposition to our gospel proclamation, whether it's a proclamation through open preaching or through the way we live, through quiet acts of service, whatever it might be. We see this clearly in our account today from the way the Jewish leaders responded. They saw the size of the crowd, they saw the effect that the word was having, and they respond with jealousy and hostility. They go so far, we are told, as to stir up leading men and women of the city to persecute the disciples and drive them out. The reality is, on this side of eternity, that sort of reaction will always be with us. The word of God creates a reaction. Sometimes it will be overwhelmingly positive, like it was in the case of the crowd. Sometimes it will be terrifyingly negative, like it was with the Jewish leaders. Such a reaction should not surprise us. After all, John in his gospel teaches us that the light, Jesus, shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it, but also that people have loved the darkness and hate the light. That means that deep down, people love their sin more than they love Jesus. The word of God faithfully preached teaches people that they need a heart change. And the only way to get that is through faith in Jesus. 
So in in hearing that our hearts are bent away from truth to sin, and hearing that there is something wrong with us, and we need the motivation of our heart to be changed, people lash out. Some hear the word and they dig in their heels. To use Paul's words, they thrust the word aside and judge themselves unworthy of eternal life. Even though we shouldn't be surprised by this reaction, we need help in how we respond to this reaction. In the face of hostility, the natural response is what? Complete calm, right? Level-headed reasoning, nice rational discussion will weigh the pros and cons of each argument. Together, we'll decide the best way forward, right? That's, that's exactly how it goes. Of course not. Most often, hostility is met with more hostility. If you ever want concrete examples of this, hop on any social media platform. I know for a fact, a whole lot of you are on Facebook. A lot of the time, you got a ton of arguments you can pick from on there. Go ahead and pick anyone. See how people respond to each other. See how calm and rational people are, especially with the benefit of perceived anonymity being online. Alternatively, People respond by softening their message. In the case of Christians, that often means backing down on scriptural claims. Let me give you an example. A very basic biblical claim is that Jesus is the only way to God. It's clearly stated. Non-Christians, and even some professed Christians, don't really like that message. And so the temptation is to to soften it. Yeah, you know what? You're right. There's a whole lot of religions out there. And so there must be multiple valid paths to, to get to God. Well, if Scripture is right about what it says about Jesus, that can't possibly be true. Nor do most other religions acknowledge the possibility of there being multiple valid paths to God. That but. That's a different sermon altogether. We'll handle that one some other time. The point is this. That when met with hostility, when we respond with hostility, we show ourselves to really be no different than anyone else. But when we react by softening the word, we teach people that the word doesn't really matter makes it seem like we can just pick and choose from whatever religions we want and cobble together our own preferred worldview as if life is about standing at a religion buffet. So if neither of those responses are right, then what is? Well, we've actually already mentioned it. Faithfulness, persistence, and joy. But you say, you told me that that's not natural to us. And you're right, it isn't. We need help. We have a need. Verse 52. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That is the difference maker right there. They have joy because it is given to them by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, that is not the response they're going to have. It's not the response we're going to have. 
Opposition will produce hostility or a weakening of the gospel, and serving God will feel like a burden rather than a joy. Paul and Barnabas have faithfulness, persistence, and joy because they have the Holy Spirit, and they're following the call that the Holy Spirit has placed on their lives. In their case, to be a light to the Gentiles, to boldly and openly proclaim the gospel. We are called to follow in the same way. Knowing the word of God is powerful, we are meant to be faithful, persistent, and joyful. And we only do that when we have the Holy Spirit and we follow the call that he has placed on our lives. It will not happen under our own power. So by way of application today, let me ask, do you know how you've been gifted? Do you know how you've been called to serve Jesus? If you believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. He is there willing to lead and guide us willing to help us experience the joy of serving Christ. Is, is what you're doing bringing you any joy at all? I'm not talking about every day. Even when we do what we love, we will have days where we don't really feel like doing it. But consistently, is there any joy? If not, do you ask the Holy Spirit to help you, to increase his voice, to tune you into what he's saying, to how he's leading you? that you might find how you're to follow him. In doing so, we'll find a calling that we can have faithfulness, persistence, and joy in. And it'll look different for all of us. It's meant to look different for us. If you need help, please know I'm here. I love helping people discern their gifting. It's actually one of my gifts one-on-one discipleship, discerning with people. I would love to help you with that if you're willing, if you want it. I know the joy of serving in an area that you love and you're gifted at, and I definitely know the frustration of slogging along, serving in areas that you just don't fit in. And by the way, sometimes those are really good things. You're just not any good at it. I spent years serving at a homeless ministry. Really important ministry. And there are people that are really good at it. Guess what? I'm not one of them. I was terrible at it. I wasn't helping anybody. I wasn't serving where I'm called. I wasn't serving with my gifts. If you're unsure of what those are, I'm willing and able to help. One more application. Since I've arrived at St. Aidan's, I've heard a question multiple times. And I'm actually very happy I've heard it, because if I hadn't, well, it wouldn't be as good. <laughs> that question is, how do churches grow? Over and over again, I've been asked that. How do churches grow? Well, the truth is actually far simpler than we think. And actually, sometimes it's far simpler than what we want. There's a reason this account is in Scripture. It's a model for how people come to Christ, for how faith grows. Those who know Jesus, who have been gifted with the Holy Spirit, faithfully and persistently proclaiming the Word of God in the way God has called us to do. That leads to growth and the joy that only the Holy Spirit can provide. 
I mentioned earlier that <laughs> I'm the one who probably needs to be reminded of this more than anyone, but we, we do think we need the gospel plus something else. The gospel plus the best contemporary music we can find, right? Guitars, drums, maybe a smoke machine. Or alternatively, no, 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 no. What we need is the gospel plus chanted liturgy and the priest wearing just a ridiculous amount of vestments. That's what's going to bring in the people. We approach the church this way. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the only hope for the world. He is the only hope for any of us. And Jesus is made known through the faithful proclamation of his word. The people in our account today showed us that the word of God has power and that people hunger for it. The Jewish leaders showed us that there will be challenges. It won't be easy. But in the face of acceptance or challenge, we are to faithfully, persistently, and joyfully proclaim the word. Thankfully, the Lord has given Christians his Holy Spirit because without him, we're not even getting out of the starting block. empowered by him. The gospel will be faithfully proclaimed and more and more people will come to know the truth that there is life in Jesus Christ. Faithful things grow. It's that simple. Faithful things grow. We will grow as individual believers and as a church, as we are faithful to Jesus and to his word, trusting in the power of the word of God to change lives. One day, may it be said that the people of St. Aidan's were exactly that, faithful in all that they do. Let us pray. Father, thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you help us to be faithful to following Jesus, to presenting him to the world. Pray that you would help us each to learn how we are to do that, how to best serve you, that we might get in on what you're doing in this world and that more people would declare Christ as Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.